You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Welcome to episode 87 of the GDPR Weekly Show. Once again, we have a number of items related to the Top ID coronavirus this week, but we also have some other items for you too. And so, coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, we begin with an update from the Information Commissioner's Office, the UKICO, on GDPR's implementation during the COVID-19 epidemic. And this updates some of the information which we've given you in previous episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. We then look at the impact of home working on the handling of data breaches. And we then answer some questions which have come in from you, including does your business insurance cover staff accessing data from your systems on their own devices, which can be important, bear in mind GDPR and your business continuity. We would remind you that we have had frequently asked questions in a number of the previous episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show from episode 82 onwards. So if you have any questions about GDPR and the Top ID 19 coronavirus, please do listen back to those episodes and hopefully we'll have answered your question. If you still have an outstanding question, please don't hesitate to email us at corona at insurety.co.uk, E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk, and we'll look to include an answer to your question in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. So, having looked at how business insurance might be affected by your staff working from home, we then have news that GDPR caused a 24-hour delay in supermarkets delivering food to those most in need through isolation for GD, for Top ID 19 and how that was resolved. We then have news from the EU that they have firmed up the guidelines on the apps to be used to track people related to Top ID 19. We then have news that your lawyers have confirmed class action against Virgin Media after their data breach earlier this year. And we then have news that Vodafone are investigating a data breach after one of their employees took information from their online chat support system and used that information to register an account for the person concerned on Snapchat and then proceeded to pursue that person via Snapchat totally without that person's authorization. And then finally, we have news of a data breach affecting two websites related to the airport in San Francisco. So quite a wide range of articles again for you this week. We hope you find them useful and informative. And if you have any feedback for us at all, please don't hesitate to drop us an email to podcasts at insurability.co.uk. And just to reassure you that every email we receive is read and wherever possible we action them and put your suggestions into future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. But unfortunately, due to the volume of emails we receive, it's not possible for us to respond to each email individually. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So we begin this week with an update from the ICO here in the UK about GDPR compliance during this whole COVID-19 epidemic. The key point to emphasise is that the 72-hour rule on reporting a data breach once you become aware of it 
is still very much in place and that's not being relaxed at all. However, the ISO does acknowledge that the actual detection might take longer than normal, but nonetheless, once you have detected it, once you have detected a data breach, then you must still report it to the ICO within 72 hours. That bit is not changing at all. But for the rest, the ICO says that it will try to be appropriately empathetic and take a proportionate approach. But the ICO has also issued a warning that it will take firm action against anyone looking to exploit the crisis through misuse of personal information or nuisance tools to the public, clearly with a view to taking a tough line on COVID-19 related internet scams and other misuses of personal data. So the key points which the ICO has made to us this week is that one, there will be fewer investigations at this time with a focus on the most serious breaches and that's largely because the ICO itself has a large number of its staff now home working. Two, there will also likely be lower financial penalties with the ICO taking the specific situation of each organisation into consideration. Three, there may be some allowances for delays when it comes to reporting breaches and providing requested evidence to the ICO. So this is not the 72-hour rule, as we said at the start, that still very much stays in place. But when the ICO requests further information from you, they are likely to give you more time now than they would ordinarily. Fourthly, any formal regulatory action relating to outstanding information request backlogs will be suspended. So if you've been asked for information at the moment and you've not got around to supplying it, you're being given a little extra time to actually supply that information because the ICO recognises the difficulties that people are having getting that information. Five, any organisation struggling financially where this is specifically linked to COVID-19 will be able to delay payment of their data protection fee providing they give adequate assurance to the ICO of a plan for future payment. Now, this is clearly generalised mainly for large organisations because with small organisations only having to pay £40 or £60, then clearly the ICO is not really going to wait for that money, but it is going to prepare to wait for those large organisations who pay a much larger data protection fee. And finally, the ICO say that there is a recognition that many organisations have a vastly reduced resource capacity because of people working from home and people being furloughed, meaning that they will be impaired in responding to subject access requests. As a result, this will be considered by the ICO when deciding whether enforcement action is appropriate. So again, in real world terms, that means that you have a little more time to supply the information requested in a subject access request. It doesn't mean is you can't ignore the subject access request altogether. With many businesses operating online for the first time and others expanding their working from home practices, the ICO recognises that there are plenty of new opportunities for or challenges for ensuring compliance with GDPR. What the ICO is making clear here is that whilst because we've got a situation now where lots of people are working from home, which hasn't been the norm, then there may be minor data breaches and the ICO is likely to be more sympathetic than they would normally be. But it is important that you stick to the rules. So we expect there'll be further updates from the ICO, especially now that the lockdown period here in the UK has been extended by another three weeks. But if we get any update from the ICO, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. As we mentioned in the last article, the 
requirement to report a data breach within 72 hours of it being discovered is still very much in place, even with the situation now where many companies have workers either furloughed or more specifically with workers working from home. Because however good your security measures might be, it's still possible that you could have a data breach, and perhaps in some cases more likely that you have a data breach with people working from home. And so it's therefore crucial to ensure that all of your team, all of your staff, are ready to deal with a breach and know what to do if they believe a breach has happened. Because remember now it could be a case of somebody realising that a breach has happened in their own home. In these circumstances, it's not enough to merely have an instant process in place that you should follow. So, you know, you might well be able to take your folder down off the shelf and say, there you go, there's what we do if we have a data breach. But the probability is is that that procedure wasn't written with the current consequences of the current situation in mind. And so it's important that certain contingencies are now put into place. The first is, is making sure that all your employees who are working from home are aware of who they need to contact within the incident response team to notify a breach. Typically this would be your DPO, your data protection officer, but perhaps you have other people as well who your home working team can notify. And of course it's probable during the current situation when people are working from home that they'll be notifying the DPO, the data protection officer, by email. However, in these present circumstances, this approach poses a risk to organisations during a period of lockdown where there's a strain on everyone working remotely. Therefore, emailing your data protection officer, your DPO, may not be the best option in the event of a breach, as there could be a delay in them picking up those emails. So make sure you have a backup situation where maybe as well as the email, if email's not been acknowledged within, I don't know, 24 hours, that you have a situation in place where the person can telephone the DPO or they can contact their line manager who can telephone the DPO. But either way, don't rely just on email to get that message to the DPO. And also, of course, bear in mind that by only having one person that you're sending that to, you do have a risk of failure because that person may be unavailable at the present time. What's also important, of course, is that your DPO and indeed your senior management team are well trained on the incident response process and also have thought through what contingencies you can or should have in place. Because when dealing with a data breach, you will inevitably have to make a decision as to whether or not to notify the ICO. Reaching this decision can require sign-off from certain individuals, such as your company lawyer. As part of your incident response and business continuity process, thoughts should be given as to how this will work if everyone's working from home. And our strong recommendation is that it's prudent to actually carry out a trial run why don't you do that this week if you do nothing else this week why don't you carry out a trial run have a dummy data breach but nonetheless a data breach and make sure your team know what to do and how to process it given that you're all now in a very different working environment because you don't want to be finding that your procedure doesn't work the first time that you need to use it for real so do carry out a trial and make sure you document the results and you make any changes to your procedures accordingly. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. We've had a number of questions from listeners this week on the implications of people working from home. And one question which has come up quite often is about does your business insurance coverage for GDPR for data breach 
W with employees working from home. Well, we had a bit of a dig into this, and we found that most organisations, of course, are now requiring their employees to work from home because if the employees not been furloughed, then chances are employees working from home. These remote working arrangements provide new opportunities for hackers to infiltrate computer systems, and not surprisingly, attempted cyber attacks are on the rise. The problem is, is that given the rapid deployment of employees being forced to work from home, i.e., you know, most companies didn't have an opportunity to plan for this, many employees working from home are using their own personal laptops, tablets and other devices to complete their work, rather than company-provided devices. The use of these personal devices increases the risk to network systems, including a potential breach of loss of data. However, do check your insurance policy because you may well find that in the event of a breach of another incident, because these people are using their own devices rather than devices supplied by the company, that your insurance won't actually cover you. And so you may need to negotiate either a uplift in your insurance cover or make sure that you can provide devices to your employees where they're working from home. Either option works, of course, but it's probably the cheaper option to upgrade your insurance, but that's down to an individual decision in each case. It's important you do this because today's working from home environment provides great opportunities for bad actors, as they're very aware of the limited number of individuals physically working in office locations. Cyber attacks and phishing scams we know have increased significantly from the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, with some people estimating that attacks have increased by as much as 4,000%. One of the latest phishing scams involves sending emails to coordinate online meetings. Due to the high volume of emails being received to coordinate and schedule these meetings, users are less likely to carefully verify the information of the recipient. Upon the acceptance of a meeting, malware is executed which compromises the company's technical environment. So, whilst all this is going on and you've got lots of staff working from home, you really should be utilising robust security protocols and network security measures to protect your systems and your data with the employees working remotely. Such measures might include, for instance, two-factor authentication. The other thing that is important, and we covered this a couple of weeks ago, is making sure that your employees working from home remember that GDPR still applies, even though they're now working from home, and so they need to take care on who can see the data that they're accessing on their devices. So you know, make sure you encourage your staff not to allow other members of their family to stand behind them viewing what's on the screen whilst they're working. So again, just another consideration to bear in mind. So as I say, our recommendation is that you check your company insurance and if it's not covering your current situation, that obviously you make necessary changes so that it does cover. So should you be unfortunate enough to have a data breach, at least financially, you're covered by your business insurance. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. GDPR inadvertently caused a delay of 24 hours in the delivery of food to the 1.5 million vulnerable people being shielded from the coronavirus in the UK this week. The problem arose because supermarkets were unable to get the names of the 1.5 million vulnerable people to deliver the food boxes to because of EU data protection rules. The supermarkets were waiting for a list of those who were self-isolating for 12 weeks due to underlying health conditions so that they can be prioritised for deliveries. The details were expected to be handed over over the Easter weekend, but they got delayed because of GDPR 
and that there was a question over whether the people's names, addresses and emails could be shared with the supermarkets. The Department of the Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, DEFRA, said it must act in full compliance with the laws. A spokesman said, and this was on Tuesday, that subject to data protection agreements being in place, we expect the data to be shared imminently. We're very pleased to say that it was all action very quickly and by Wednesday all of the supermarkets were given access to the information and so the UK supermarkets have been able to access information as delivered the food to those particularly vulnerable and do not have the help of friends or family. On Tuesday, Tesco Chief Executive Dave Lewis apologised for the delay but said it wasn't their fault, it was the DEFRA who were refusing to release the information and that was confirmed by Ocado. For those unaware, and perhaps for listeners outside the UK, because of the top ID19 situation, the coronavirus, one and a half million people have been identified as being particularly at risk, and these people have been shielded, and so they've been told to stay indoors for the next 12 weeks, and that where they have no other way of receiving food, that supermarkets will deliver packages to them for free with a week's supply in the supplies are coming from supermarkets and also from wholesale suppliers such as brakes and bid food the suppliers such as brakes and bid food have got involved because with many restaurants stalls and canteens all shut they've had a vast amount of extra produce on their sites ready to be delivered and in addition this week morrison's has launched a click and collect food box service for nhs staff the NHS staff will be able to pick up the orders from hospital car parts with deliveries on Mondays and Thursdays. Sainsbury's said that it had managed to book 320,000 home delivery slots for the vulnerable customers and it can now deliver 472,000 orders a week, it said, and it also includes, increased its click and collect slots from 41,000 to almost 100,000. So, an example of GDPR getting in the way, some would argue, but of course it does provide a vital function and it's pleasing to see that DEFRA managed to resolve the situation relatively quickly. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. If you're a regular listener to the GDPR Weekly Show, you'll know that in the last couple of episodes we've mentioned about the development of apps to help with the release from lockdown on COVID-19 and how these apps might work to enable governments to allow more people back to work and back to perhaps what we would class as normal life. And this week the EU has firmed up on the guidelines for COVID-19 apps. You may remember that we mentioned last week and the week before that these guidelines were coming. Well, they've now been released by the EU. And what the EU Commission has said is that mobile applications typically installed on smartphones can support public health authorities at national and EU level in monitoring and containing the COVID-19 pandemic and are particularly relevant in the phase of lifting containment measures. They can provide direct guidance to citizens and support contact tracing efforts. The document released by the EU Commission sets out a number of features and requirements which apps must meet to ensure compliance with the EU's privacy and personal data protection legislation, particularly GDPR and also the e-privacy directive. The document, and this is some 14 pages long, tries to ensure 
that an individual's privacy should not be affected, and for this it has set the following guidelines. The installation of the app on the device should be voluntary and without any negative consequences for the individual who decides not to download or use the app. And this is very relevant because we're aware in some countries it looks like the population has been given a choice with the app, which is either install the app or have a policeman come to your house every day to check that you're still there, you're still alive and you haven't got COVID-19. Um, does that really mean that those people have installed the app voluntarily? Well, I'll leave that one up to you. Secondly, they say that different app functionalities, for example, information symptom checker, contact tracing and warning functionalities should not be bundled so that the individual can provide his or her consent specifically for each functionality. This should not prevent the user from combining different app functionalities if this is offered as an option by the app provider. If proximity data is used, data generated by the exchange of Bluetooth low energy signals, and most of the apps are that we've seen are proposing to use Bluetooth to know when you're close to someone who has had COVID-19, then the EU is saying that if the proximity data is used for Bluetooth signals between devices within an epidemiologically relevant distance and during an epidemiologically relevant time, they should be stored on the individual's device. If the data is to be shared with health authorities, they should be shared only after confirmation that the person concerned is infected with COVID-19 and on the condition that he or she has given specific consent to do so. Health authorities should provide the individuals with all necessary information related to the processing of his or her personal data, and this should be in line with Article 12 and 13 of GDPR and Article 5 of the Privacy Directive. They also say that the individual should be able to exercise his or her rights under GDPR, in particular the rights of access, rectification and deletion, and any restriction of rights under GDPR and e-privacy should be in accordance with these acts and be necessary, proportionate and provided for in the legislation. They also say that the apps should be deactivated at the latest when the pandemic is declared to be under control. The deactivation should not depend on any action or deinstallation by the user. The EU Commission further mentioned that data protection authorities must be involved and consulted whilst the app is being developed and they must keep the app's deployment under review. The Commission goes on to say that given the processing of data in the context of the app would qualify as a processing on a large scale of special categories of data, health data, the Commission draws special attention to Article 35 of GDPR on data protection impact assessments. So some quite clear guidance there, well rules really rather than guidance, there from the EU Commission for anybody who's looking at developing an app related to Top ID 19. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Moving away from Top ID 19 now for a while, we turn our attention to the data breach which we mentioned several episodes ago about Virgin Media here in the UK. And we also mentioned that Virgin Media appeared at the time to be facing the prospect of a group litigation or class action lawsuit via a firm of lawyers called Your Lawyers. And that action is now very much taking shape. Your Lawyers claim that the operator's failure to protect the personal details belonging to 900,000 of their customers could result in each being able to claim £5,000 which would give Virgin a bill of £4.5 billion in total. 
To do a bit of history at the start of last month, Virgin Media revealed that personal data belonging to 900,000 their customers had been exposed by an incorrectly configured marketing database, which had apparently been accessed on at least one occasion, but they didn't know by who or if any information had actually been used. The database is understood to have been accessible since the 19th of April 2019, so almost a year. Initially, the operator announced that the database itself had contained the names, home addresses, email and phone numbers of both customers and potential customers alike, but not passwords or financial details. But it later transpired that the database also contained a lot of other data for some customers, i.e. their IP addresses, their requests to block or unblock various pornographic websites, etc. And hence, become much more valuable to whoever had taken the data, had someone taken it. What made it worse was that all of this data was in plain text and unencrypted, which effectively meant that anyone browsing the internet could clearly view and potentially download all of it without needing any specialised equipment, tools or hacking techniques. Anyone with a web browser could access it. Virgin promptly closed the database and notified affected customers as soon as they became aware, and for that they should be commended. At present, the ICO is known to be conducting their own investigation, but we also now have your lawyers, as I say, forming this class action against Virgin Media and your lawyers are saying they're not at all deterred by the recent ruling in the Supreme Court in the case of Morrison's because Morrison's data breach happened before GDPR came into place. Virgin's data breach is obviously very much under the remit of GDPR. Your lawyers have said that if you've been notified by Virgin Media that your data was exposed during the breach incident, then you could be entitled to claim thousands of pounds in compensation. And they're suggesting up to £5,000 per customer, although they've not given any indication of how they've calculated that figure. It's worth saying that your lawyers are acting as a no-win-no-fee style firm in this. And so, of course, it's in their interest to make each claim as high as possible. What they seem to be basing this figure on, although as I say they've not actually given confirmation of how they've calculated it, but what they appear to be basing it on is that uh, under GDPR, damages for breach of data protection legislation may be material, i.e. financial losses, or non-material, i.e. distress. And indeed previous cases have shown that damages may be awarded for a loss of control over personal data, even in the absence of pecuniary loss or distress. Aman Johal, a director at Your Lawyers, said, Your Lawyers has formally notified Virgin Media that we are taking action and our claimant base is growing daily. We urge anyone affected by the breach to make a claim as soon as possible. Virgin Media failed to take the steps required to keep customer data safe and it is vital for the company to understand the severity of the breach. There is simply no excuse. This is an avoidable event and we must hold Virgin Media to account, he said. One key challenge here is the case law around claims for the loss of control of data is still evolving and we've yet to see how any court would give effect to that in practice. Meanwhile, the idea that Virgin Media could end up paying out billions of pounds does seem a touch unrealistic, as few businesses could realistically survive such an outcome, particularly in the current climate with COVID-19. And Virgin wouldn't doubtless argue that actually no financial details were exposed as part of this data breach. And so it's our personal view that any award of damages that is given to each claimant is likely to be less than £5,000. But nonetheless, given the number of claimants involved, clearly any penalty, any um, conversation is going to be a serious financial hit to Virgin Media. 
and as this case progresses we will bring you further updates in future episodes of the GDPR weekly show. We should add a disclaimer here that we have no connection with your lawyers. You're listening to the GDPR weekly show with your host Keith Budden. Vodafone are probing a potential data breach after an advisor allegedly pestered a woman on social media after taking her number from a live chat session on the Vodafone website. Vodafone said the woman was claiming that the individual had taken her personal information. She claimed he had illegally taken her number from the online help chat and then used it to add her on Snapchat without her permission. The woman, who has not been named, lodged an official complaint with Vodafone when the agent first reportedly approached her on the Snapchat app. And she took to Twitter when the advisor allegedly messaged her twice more after she had raised the issue. Tagging the phone network in her Twitter message, she revealed her anger from the illegal data breach and the misuse of her personal information. She wrote, An advisor took my phone number from a live chat to add me on Snapchat without my consent. I've made a formal complaint since making the complaint. This man has now messaged me twice. This is an illegal data breach and a misuse of my personal information. Vodafone have confirmed that they've launched a probe and are treating the alleged incident with the utmost seriousness. A Vodafone spokesperson said, We are fully investigating this incident and treating it as priority. The privacy and protection of all our customer data is of the utmost importance to us and we take extremely seriously any breach on our strict internal processes and guidelines. We believe that Vodafone have reported this to the ICO, although we've not been able to confirm it with the ICO. And if we receive any update on this from either Vodafone or the ICO, we will, of course, bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. And finally this week, we have news of a data breach affecting two low-traffic websites related to San Francisco International Airport in the USA. San Francisco International Airport this week disclosed that two of its websites had been hacked, which had led to the disclosure of some users' login credentials at both sites. The attacks were understood to have occurred in March this year and affected the sites sfoconnect.com and sfoconstruction.com, both of which are related to airport activities. A spokesman for the airport said that the attackers inserted malicious computer code on these websites to steal users' login credentials. They wanted to say users possibly impacted by this attack include those accessing these websites from outside the airport network through Internet Explorer on a Windows-based personal device or device not maintained by San Francisco Airport. They went on to say it appears the attackers may have accessed the impacted users' usernames and passwords which they used to log on to those personal devices. The airport advises anyone who even visited either website using the Internet Explorer web browser outside of its managed network to change the device's password used to log on to the endpoint hardware. Additionally, San Francisco Airport representatives forced a reset of all San Francisco-related email and network passwords on Monday, March 23, 2020. It also said that the malicious code had been removed from the affected websites. It's understood that the site sfoconstruction.com is dedicated to SFO construction projects and is a clearinghouse for outside third parties interested in bids and contracts tied to work related to the airport. The second site, sfoconnect.com, 
is an information hub for airport employees to find up-to-date airport security news tied to badges and ground transportation. If we have any update on this data breach from San Francisco Airport, we will of course bring it to you in the forthcoming episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us at Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember to keep your data safe. Thanks for listening. The GDPR Weekly Show is an Insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.